Good morning and welcome to the Battles Within. We're continuing our study on who is Jesus. This is session number 41. 41 seems like a long time. We're, we've just begun discussing our, um, discussing the, um, the, the Sermon on the Mountain and the preaching and teaching of Jesus Christ. You know, we've covered a lot of stuff about, you know, his position. You go back and read all that. I'm not going to cover that. We have a lot to cover in a short period of time. So we are continuing to learn about Jesus and understand his teaching uh, because his teaching was unique. We already talked about that before, that people said what he did was different. He wasn't the same as the scribes and Pharisees, for he taught as one who had authority. Well, of course he does, because he has authority. In last week's lesson, we began to look at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 and uh, part of the message that we called the Beatitudes. Well, this session, we're going to look more at the message that he delivered on the mountain. And um, remember now, he delivered this message to his disciples, the, those people that were following, not just the apostles, but to the disciples. So he had a message for them because, remember, his message was to go and teach other people. That's his plan, the pyramid scheme, right? You laid the foundation. You teach these so that they can teach others, so that they can teach others, so they can teach others. That's always been God's plan, right? He planned is for us to go into the world, to teach them about God, to get them baptized, to get them saved, and so that they go out and teach others, get them baptized, get them saved. So that's the way it is. So we're going to start today. We're left off in Matthew chapter 5. So if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 13. We're going to only cover verses 13 through 16 today, but there's a lot packed in those four verses. So let's read. I'll give you just a moment. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. And he says, Ye are the salt of the earth. If the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth life unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We're going to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to dig right into this scripture. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to study your word. Lord, your word is powerful. And Lord, we know you didn't say anything with just for sake of saying it. So you packed jewels in everything you said. Uh, It could take us a lifetime just to study a few scripture verses because of the knowledge that you provide us. You give us the information in your holy word that can change our lives and the lives of all men, all women, all boys, all girls for all times if we just read, study, and apply it. I pray, Lord, right now that you would empty David Barber and fill the Holy Spirit so that what I speak would be the very words that you want those who listen and watch to hear. For it's in the mighty name of Jesus I ask it. Amen. Okay, so the first thing we want to see is the, the first part I entitled verse 13 is Christians are the salt of the earth. He says, remember this, he says, ye are the salt of the earth. So I did a little research on what is salt. You know, if he says you're the salt of the earth, 
what do we mean? Well, you know, salt and chemistry. I, I did pass chemistry. I'm not a chemist in any way, but I did pass chemistry. And salt is a, nat is a neutral chemical compound made of cantons, which are positive ions, attached to anons, which are negative ions. So they attach to each other. I'm an electronics guy. So this kind of was interesting to me because uh, that's how you have electricity. Electricity, you have you have electrons that are flowing from a uh, from a positive to a negative point. Some people have positive flow where they believe that the, they're looking at the the holes. That's a different story. We won't talk about that. But anyway, the main kind of salt that uh, we see is sodium chloride, which is a chemical. It's formed with hydrochloric acid when it is added to sodium hydroxide. That's a lot to say, but simply salt is a mineral. You know, what are the minerals? Well, minerals are things you dig out of the ground, iron ore and other things. There's four definitions for a mineral. It is inorganic, means there's no life in that of itself. It is naturally occurring, so it happens, nobody created it, God created it is what it means when it says naturally occurring. That means God created these things himself. It has a definitive uh, chemical composition. In other words, they can define what it's made up of. And it has a crystal structure. Now, um, a, the, let's look at the crystal structures this moment. What does that mean? It has a continuous ordered arrangements of one or more elements. In other words, it is one, this chunk is chunked together to make this chunk chunk together. You, you've seen these rock crystals where they're, they're joined together. You know, it looks like you can almost see the separation. You can, if you split it, it's like it splits off in chunks because it's like groups of things that are glued together. So it's crystallized. So a fancy way of saying that minerals are composed of elements that are stacked in an orderly and neat fashion. You can almost see the stacking of these things. So if you think of an element as different sized marbles, except in this case, the marbles are very, very, very thin, little, small. You matter of fact, you can't even hardly see it with a microscope. The compounds are so small. Um... But because of the different sizes of the compounds of the of the of the the comp, yeah, compounds, it forms different types of stacks. Anyway, a simple mineral is salt, table salt. Table salt is a simple mineral. No, man does not make table salt. Table salt, the proper mineral name for table salt is called halite. H-A-L-I-T, halite. And it is composed of those two elements. It's made up of sodium and chlorine. Sodium and chlorine are strongly attached to each other and stacked together into a cubic crystal structure. That's important because remember, Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. And Jesus, God, is, is this an organic, inorganic materials naturally occurring. God created salt. So when he says, you are the salt of the earth, he knew what he was talking about, right? Because Jesus is the creator. So individual salt or halite crystals have a cubic shape. 
mimicking how the individual elements are stacking together. So they look like they're stacked together. Remember, we can't see the individual components, but when they stack together in big numbers, we can see it looks like they're stacked together. You can tell how they're stacking together by looking at the shape of the salt crystals. You can see it. So then the question is, all right, that's what salt is, but why do we need salt? What does salt do for you then if you're the salt of the earth? Salt, especially sodium ions, we talked about it before now, what they're made up of, but salt, especially the sodium ions, remember it's made out of sodium ions and an antons, cantons and antons, <laughs> sounds like a basketball team. Sodium ion presented in its structure is essential to the functioning of every cell in your body. You need sodium ions. They're important for your body. For the humans to live, they must have so you know people talk about salt, negative salt, don't have any salt, negative salt. Let me tell you, I read a study that talked about salt. If you if you were to cut out every salt in your diet, you would not lower your sodium intake by a little very little bit. You understand? Because everything we have has sodium in it of some type. So you're still going to get some sodium no matter what you do. The objective for reducing your sodium input is because some people's body can't handle but so much and it does cause the blood pressure. Why does it cause blood pressure go up? We'll see in a minute because sodium's all about the blood. It's about the blood. And it's interesting, the Bible continually talks about the blood. The compounds containing sodium and potassium are electrolytes. So the electrolytes contain sodium and potassium. These substances are dissolved in water and produce the ions. So when you take sodium into your body, it is dissolved and it produces ions that go into your bloodstream, electrolytes, which results in the electrolytes are used to conduct electric current in your body. Electric current. Yeah, we're an electrical being. You understand that? I mean, there's electrical, they, they do brain research, shows the electrical synapse that are firing in your brain all the time. It's pretty fascinating if you ever get a chance to do brain research. God knew what he was doing. I mean, it's a pretty fascinating thing that the humans are, are an amazing creation. They are. So anyway, many processes require electrical signals from your many processes of the human body requires electrical signals for communicating, especially the nervous system, the brain, and your muscles. You must have the ability to, example, sodium ions are necessary to generate those electrical signals. You need sodium ions to generate those electrical signals. Too much sodium or too little can cause your cells in your body to malfunction, sometimes even die. So, so what is that going to do when Jesus, all that, just simply say, Jesus said, ye are the salt of the earth. Understand what that means. If you understand what salt is, now how does that apply? What does he mean by that? So Jesus called his followers and those of us who will come after him, the salt of the earth. How can we compare that to the Christian? So just as salt is composed of two elements, sodium and chlorine, Christians are composed of body and joined with the Holy Spirit in the new birth. We become a new creature, right? We combine ourselves to be the electrical charge, to be the, the, the energy, the electrolytes of the spiritual world. We as Christians must combine our component. By ourselves, we're nothing. But we must have that. Now, interestingly enough, water baptism 
it dilutes us, right? Border baptism is a sign to the world that we're now these electrolytes. We're supposed to be these electrical currents that are flowing through the body, through the body of Christ. We are the electrolytes. We are the ions that carries the current, the message, the charge, the power of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So just like sodium and chlorine are strongly attracted to each other and stacked together into cubic crystal structures, we Christians, once we have combined ourselves with the Holy Spirit, should find ourselves a strong attachment to other Christians to form the salt of the earth. You know, what one Christian does over here may affect everybody. Strong bodies of believers, we come together. Forsake not the assembly of yourself together in the matter of some is. Why? Because we need to be the body of Christ. You know, we need to be the body of Christ so that we can build one after the other. And the more you bend together, the stronger, the more salt is developed. Salt is broken down in the bloodstream to produce electrolytes that carry the electric current to different parts of the body. Christians, we are the electrolytes of the world, carrying the electrifying current of the Holy Spirit to make the world work the work God intended. That's what we're for. So Jesus says, ye are the salt of the earth. You are the ones that carry the Holy Spirit with you to go and, and take care of the different parts of the world. The different parts of the body. You take care of the mind and the body and the soul. We are out there doing those things by carrying the Holy Spirit with us as we go. We are the electrolytes. The ions of the world. So ye are the salt of the world, he says. But then he gives a warning. And if the salt have lost its savor... Wherewith shall it be salted? Wherewith shall it be salted? What? The world. Right? Because if he says here in the beginning, what did he say? He said at the very beginning, ye are the salt of the earth. So it, but then he said, if the salt of the earth have lost its favor, wherewith shall it be salted? How can the world be salted? How can the Holy Spirit get out into the world if the the salt, if the Christians who are the salt of the world are not doing what God wants them to do, are not flavored with the salt. So what happens if they don't know the world? Genealogists, interesting enough. They identify salt by tasting it. They taste it. If it's no longer salty tasting, it's no good. But if the salt has lost its savor, its flavor, you see, same thing. Now, can salt lose its flavor? That's the question. Can salt? Well, the Bible says the salt lost its flavor. Hold on. Bear with me. Pure natural salt can never go bad. You hear that? Pure natural salt can never go bad. Never. It's impossible. It never goes bad. There's not a life cycle on salt. But you say, hold it. If I get a box of salt, there's a life cycle. Five years life cycle on a box of salt. Why? Because additives have been put in there. And those additives lose their flavor. You see, those additives distort the salt. So it's not the salt that's the problem. It's the additives that's been added to the salt. 
Christians that rely on the Word of God, on God and the Word only, will never fail or fall short. If we're relying only on the Word of God. The problem is we in the church mix in those things that we should not. We want to look like the world, feel like the world, sound like the world. We dress like the world. We create these black stages like we're doing a show to entertain people. Many years ago, the, fam- the, the one of the famous uh, preachers said, men no longer want to stand amazed in the presence of God, but want to sit amused. They want to be entertained. And, and our churches are falling to that with entertainment. Music's allowed. You can't even understand what's being said sometimes. Is that the life that we, I mean, you understand, we're, just, we're diluting the salt. Christian Lombard, we mix in other things. And when we do that, we lose the flavor that God intends for us. God said, be ye holy, for I am holy. And we should show our holiness. We should wear, people, I, I, I have a, I, let me, I'm digress a moment. But you know, the, the, when we come to church, God doesn't say you need to dress up to go to church. I agree with that. But you should show respect. People that dress down don't care about how they dress and come like they want to no matter what. I have a problem with that because that shows lack of respect for God's house and God's people and God himself. If the president of the United States was coming, I'm not a fan. But I would certainly wear a tie or something. I would dress up for him. I would at least wear a nice shirt with a logo or something on it. You know, I wouldn't go in shorts and a t-shirt. Yet we got people coming on Sunday morning to church wearing shorts and t-shirts and flip-flops like it's a Sunday at the beach. Now, if that's all they got, praise God, come on. But if it's not, then are you showing lack of respect? Would you show up to work like that, but you show up to church like that? You see, I'm saying that, 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 that they've mixed in the world. See, Jesus tells the disciples if the Christian allow the world to mix in with the church, it will lose its flavor. So then he says next, what happens when it loses its flavor? He said, it is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden underfoot of men. You know, in this seaport village, they had a lot of fish and they salted their fish. And so the fish lasted a long time because that's why they salt meat because salt doesn't ever go bad. So if you salt the stuff, the, the meat preserves, the, the, the salt preserves the meat because salt never goes bad. But if for some reason you got salt that's mixing with something else and then the meat goes bad, it's no good. You got to throw it out. See, if we are not teaching the truth of God's word, if not proclaiming the truth of God's word, if we're adding these other things into the world, those things are going bad. See the danger we have of following following in this, uh, this modernistic age of worship, that things constantly change, fall in and out of grace with the public, fall in and out of favor, that is, with the public. So today is one thing, tomorrow will be something else. What are you going to do, keep chasing that rabbit? Or you can try to stay true to the Word of God. Try to stay firm. Um, Gene Getz wrote a book uh, and did a series entitled Resharpening the Focus of the Church. And he said the one that if you look at a camera has two lenses. One of them I think is called the foci and it doesn't change. It stays there the same always. Then the other lens is the one you focus on. The Bible is like that. It never changes. 
Everything we should see and do comes through that lens. Now, how we act, some of the activities we do are different. Some of the ways we worship perhaps might be a little different. But the lens of the Bible is always there. Don't violate the lens of the Word. Now, people say, well, how is that? Then, therefore, you can do different things. One of the things, we should be respectful of the house of God. Not digress on that enough. Anyway, Jesus tells the disciples that once you mix in anything other than the gospel, the salt is tasteless and not worth anything. Jesus wanted us to guard against worldliness. That's what he's teaching them here. He's telling his disciples, be careful not to add something else to what I gave you. Because if you do, you have a more likely chance of making it worthless. Christians are to be the light of the world, Matthew 15, 14 through 16. He says in verse 14, ye are the light of the world. Did you know that uh, colors doesn't really exist? There's really no such thing as colors. No, colors is just a trick of your eye. Light is usually perceived as white. But it's made up of energy, waves of energy and varying wavelengths. So really, it's the way that the light is refracted. Wavelengths comprise the colors of the spectrum. When light hits an object, the light will either be absorbed or it will be reflected. Some objects also scatter light while others refract, refract the light. Let's focus on the idea of light being absorbed or reflected. If an object absorbs all the light that hits it, the object will appear black. So when you see something that's black, it absorbs all the materials, absorbs all of the light that hits it. That's what makes it black. If the object reflects all the light that hits it, the object will appear white. If an object absorbs every wavelength except for blue, the object will appear to be blue. If the object objects all the wavelengths, if the, if the uh, object absorbs every wavelength of the light but red, it will appear to be red, and so on and so on and so on. So without light, our world would be dark, and it would be drab, and there'd be no color. So God created these elements to absorb light or to refract it. And therefore, different light, different materials look differently. Jesus said to his people that they were the light of the world. Why? Each of us are different. Some of us are one way, some of us the other. Think about color skin. It's the same thing. Whether you're white or black or brown or, or red or whatever you are, it's the way the light refracts on your reflects off your skin. It's the color the sun absorbs or doesn't absorb it. That's what makes you the color you are. It's the pigmentation in the skin. No, it's the way the light shines on it, too. Those pigments make the light either absorb or refract. And that's because that's what makes light. That's what makes color. Uh, that's, that's what God created. Jesus said, to, not only should we should our presence put darkness to flight, it should also cause the world to be more colorful and a more beautiful place. There's nothing like meeting a Christian who reflects all the light of the Savior. You can see all of the great things that God has given him. Uh, that person is a ray of light in a dark place. That person is a thing of beauty in a drab world. 
Uh, Philippians 1.27, Paul wrote this, Only let your conversations be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you, or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. See, we need to be the light. We need to be the light that he told us to be. We need to be the light of the world. We are what makes the difference in the world. And then he goes on to expound upon that. He said, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Well, in that day, most of the cities were constructed out of white limestone. That means it totally reflected all the light, right? So in the daytime, it glowed. At nighttime, when the moon showed, it glowed. Anything that hit it, it glowed. So at nighttime, a city that is sitting on the hillside, during the daytime, it can be seen because the light is on it. And at nighttime, when the moon is shining, you can see the city on the hill. It cannot be hid. You can't be hiding from people if you live in that type of city. So that, uh, that, that's what he's trying to say. The image of the city on the hill speaks of us letting our light shine as a community of faith. Truth is, we as a Christian cannot hide our city. The light of Christ should be shining in us whether the daylight or nighttime. We can't hide from the light of Christ. It shines in us. It doesn't just, it refracts off of us. What we see, we give back. So Jesus said, ye are the light of the earth, and therefore the city that is on the hill cannot be hidden. You can't hide your light if you're a Christian. You can tell every almost everything you need to know about a church by the following things. You can tell about a church by the preaching that they have. Are they preaching the word of God? Are they using the word of God to preach or are they using something else? Do they spend their time with one verse and then cover a, a subject of other things that have nothing to do with the Word of God? I try to be careful about that because God's Word is more important than David Barber's Word. What Bible are they using? Are they using a valid version of the Bible? You know, I'm not a big supporter of NIV. Never been, won't be. I think it's a paraphrased version. But there's plenty of good Bibles. King James Version is one I still use, but the new King James Version for young people, I'm, I'm in favor of. I think it's a great Bible. I think the, there's an English Standard Version that's a good Bible. There are other translations, Holman Bible. There's some good Bibles out there. Besides that, I just don't like NIV because, again, it's a paraphrased version. But the, the point is, what Bible do they use? Some people create their own Bibles, you know. Be careful of that. What songs do they sing? Are they singing praises to God or are they singing praises to man? My daughter and I was talking about something not long ago. We were talking about uh, the, the, you know, she said, I believe most churches today have gone to contemporary. I said, I don't think that's true. She said, yeah, look at all these churches. All of them are doing contemporary. I said, you don't understand. I don't think that's true. See, the problem is the contemporary churches are the ones that want to be a scene, a show. They want to show themselves. They want to build these shows for people. That's why they build these stages. That's why they do all these big lights. That's why they do all the sound. They are about the show. The traditional churches are not about the show. They're about the word. So they're not out there trying to show themselves off. They're trying to go out there and preach the word. So what are you going to see in public? You're going to see those who are trying to show the show. They're about the show. They're not about the word. 
So be careful what songs they're singing. Are they singing songs that are praising God or are they singing songs to praise themselves? Listen to the words of the songs. You know? Um, they don't always have to sing hymns. Hymns are valid words, but you know, even in their day when hymns were created, there was an uproar among them. Some of these hymns, one of the hymn writers was a, she actually wrote songs originally for like burlesque shows. So I mean, you know, that you, 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 just because, focus on the words of the songs, but focus on the way they're delivered because that's a part of it too. But what songs they sing, the activities that they engage in. You know, if you go to a church and they're, they're having a, a, a type of, what type of socials do they have? Some churches are allowing, some people still, or as a free will Baptist, as an original free will Baptist specifically, we abstain from all uses of alcohol. Hear me? That's in our church doctrine. People say, well, drinking a sin. I'm going to tell you, for a free will, for original free will Baptist church member, it is a sin. Why? Because in our constitution, in our bylaws, it says that we will abstain from all cell distribution and use of alcoholic beverages. So if you're an original free will Baptist and you're participating in alcohol in any way, you are sinning because you're breaking your covenant that you agreed to. Now, if you're not original free will Baptist, what does your denomination say? The Bible clearly says drinking is, being drunk is a sin. And the Bible says that, who's, that wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. So a wise person would stay away from it no matter what. But for original free will Baptists, and for a national free will Baptist, because I was one of them too, drinking is a sin because it's a violation of our covenant, if nothing else, of our commitment. So if you're out there as a free will Baptist just saying, and you're out there participating in drink, don't think, well, it's not a sin. It is a sin for you to do so. And you're breaking God's standard. Well, what activity are you engaged in? Uh, like a city set on the hill, we cannot be hidden. We either declare or stand, or stand for Jesus, testify of his saving grace and power, or take a stand with the world. You can't have it both ways. There's no such thing as a worldly Christian. There's not. James says you're either a friend of God or you're an enemy of God. If you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. Not because God makes you his enemy, but because you make God your enemy. Verse 15 says, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. See, the word translated candle can refer to, refers to an ancient oil lamps. These were usually clay containers filled with olive oil and was placed in a piece of, of, of twisted flax that served as a wick. Uh, most of the houses were windowless, and so therefore oil lamps were necessary for the occupants to see. So they had them in their houses probably on most of the time. Because you walk into a different, if you ever walk into a, a, a room that doesn't have any windows, it's dark. <laughs> you can't see nothing. older I get, the more I need to take my phone with me. To uh, I didn't have to take my phone. I can't show you my phone. It's not on the plug. But take my phone, turn the flashlight on to see. So no one can lit, no one lit a, a lamp and then hid it under a bushel. There'd be no need to do that. That'd been a waste of time. You don't take a lamp and cover it up. That would have been foolishness. The lamp was lit so that people in the house could see the objects and the people around them. We as Christians are like a candle, right? 
We light, and we are, when we light, we show God's word, we show God's living, we show what a Christian's like, it's going to shine the light on other things around us. It's going to show the things that we need to be in danger of around us. It's going to show the things that we're not, other people aren't doing right around us. See, the lamp was lit so the people in the house could see the objects. This verse is speaking about the power of the individual believer. Just as the church has a testimony, so do you. See, Jesus saved us to be a light for him. As he shines his light through us, those around us who are in darkness are helped to see their way to God. You know, if it's dark in a room, you're, you're, you're how many of you have ever been in a totally pitch black room with no lights at all? It is eerie. Your mind, your spirit, your you're desiring some type of light. You want something to break this darkness. It's kind of the way sinner is today. They're in darkness. They need, souls need a light. They need to see your candle. Do you notice that Jesus spoke of some people who hid their candle under a bushel? People hide their lights under a bushel uh, under all kinds of different bushels, don't we? Some hide their lights under the bushel of fear. Joseph of Arimathea didn't let his light shine until Jesus died and then did it. There's a, there a young man who became a Christian and went off to summer camp. Went off, sorry, went off to summer lumber camp where they're going to work uh, with. He was going to work in the summer, making some money. And his pastor was a little concerned about it because he knew he'd just become a Christian. And this would be a difficult situation. Um, this would have been a difficult situation, right? Because you know men talk, right? So therefore, he, he knew it would be a little bit difficult. So after the summer was over and the boy returned back, the pastor went to him and said, uh, Son, I want you to know that uh, I, I want you to know I knew you had just been saved. And I knew it was going to be difficult on you. So I prayed for you while you were working this summer at that lumber camp. I was praying that they wouldn't make it too hard on you. And the young man said, oh, no, preacher. I didn't have it didn't, I didn't have a heart at lumber camp. He said, you know, in fact, preacher, none of them ever found out I was a Christian. He hid his bushel, his light, under a bushel. He didn't want people to know he was a Christian because if he had, they would have given him a hard time. That's not the way God wants us to be. Now, others are hiding their bushel under uh, their light under a bushel of apathy. They don't seem to care that the world's lost and is dying and people going to hell around them. That's a tragic shape for Christians to find themselves in. Um, we need to have the heart of the rich man, the rich man who died and went to hell but he desired to regarding the souls of his brothers, his five brothers. If you remember the story, he had, the rich man had died and gone to hell and opened his eyes in torment and seeing Abraham and Lazarus far off and prayed for a drop of water to quench his thirst. And he said, well, I can't, the gulf is too big. He said, well, can someone go and tell my brothers so that they won't come to this awful place? See, isn't it bad that those in hell won't the lost saved. But those Christians living in the earth seem to have apathy. We ought to consume with the idea that people are dying and they need Jesus every day. 
they're perishing, and we hold our hands with the antidote, yet we want to hide that antidote under a bushel. You don't hide your light under a bushel. When you do, one of two things can happen. One, either the basket will will the basket will ex- extinguish the candle, right? Oxygen will be going at it and it will cover the candle will die, or the candle will consume the bushel. When Jesus is really in your life, you'll have a difficult time hiding the light. Right? If your light is lit, you put a candle on it, the bushel will burn up because the light is more powerful than the darkness. There's a Hindu trader in India that was uh, once asked a missionary, what do you put on your face to make it shine? With surprise, the man answered, a man of God answered, I don't put anything on it. His questionnaire began to lose patience and said empathetic, yes, you do. All of you who believe in Jesus seem to have it. It seems it is in the town, of, I've seen it in the town of Agra and Sarat and even in the city of Bombay. Suddenly, the Christian understood as his face glowed even more as he said, Now I know what you mean. I will tell you the secret. It's not something we put on from the outside, but something that comes from within. It's the reflection of the light of God in our heart. But when he isn't, but when he isn't, you will have no trouble hiding your own light under a bushel you may choose. See, if you're not living for God, you can hide your bushel anywhere you want to. Because your bushel, if anything, your light is just a twicker, a little flicker. I said twicker because it's not even a flicker. Verse 16 said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Jesus tells us of twofold purposes of his light he has placed within our hearts. One, It is to witness to the lost. When lost people see the light of Jesus shining through the lives of the redeemed ones, they will take notice. We all have works, but Jesus mentioned here good works. Let your good works shine. Good works are works that are motivated by love, carried out by the power of the Holy Spirit, performed by the glory of God. Good works are produced in us and through us by Jesus Christ himself. Those are the good works. So we see that uh, the the second purpose for having it in our hearts is a witness to the Lord. It's a witness to others, but the light is also a witness to the Lord. There's no greater witness than a born-again believer reflecting the light of Jesus Christ. There's no more powerful testimony than a light that displays the proof that his presence is in our lives. It's made a change in our lives. As the lost world sees the difference that Jesus made in his children, God is honored and glorified. Just as the light does not exist to call attention to itself, but to draw attention to the things that illuminates, our witness does not manifest, magnify what we've done. Our testimony is about the great God. The God who loved us. The God who saved us. When we deserve damnation instead, that's the light that we're trying to show. Not my light, but the light of Him. Our purpose is not to make people look at what we do and say, man, what a great Christian. No, we want them to say, man, they must serve a great God. A God I like to know Him too. 
That's the light we want people to see. Not the David Barber light, but the Jesus Christ light shining through me. We as Christians, we must be the electricity that carries the power of God's word to others. We are the salt. We are the ions. We are the electrolytes. We are the, the, the carriers of the current of the Holy Spirit to the dying world that we live in. We must not only have our insides in order, salt. We must have our outsides so that we shine the light where Jesus sees. The salt is our inward being, what we do, how we do it. The light is the result of that salt living within us that we're making a difference. Story told of the late President Woodrow Wilson and a barbershop visit he had. This is what I'm going to read directly from him. He said, I was sitting in a barber chair when I became aware that a powerful personality had entered the room. A man had come quietly in upon the same errand as myself to have his hair cut and sat in the chair next to me. Every word the man uttered, though it was not in, in the least didactic, showed a personal interest in the man who was serving him. And before I got through with what was being done to me, I was aware I had attended an evangelistic service because Mr. D.L. Moody was in that chair. Now, some of you may not know who D.L. Moody is, and that's a shame. What a great man of God. He's, then he continued, I purposely lingered in the room after he left and noticed the singular effect that his visit had brought upon the barbershop. They talked in undertones. They did not know his name, but they knew something had elevated through their thoughts. And I felt that I left that place as I should have left a place of worship. So D.L. Moody, just going into a barbershop and the casual conversations that he had left an impression upon them that they knew that God was in the room. Isn't that, isn't that the way we should? Do you leave or, or do you leave that type of impression on others when you leave the room? Jesus tells us that we're the salt of the earth, and if we lose our flavor, then there's nothing left. And if we're the salt of the earth, we need to let our light shine so that everyone else can come to us and that they might be the salt. Next lesson, we're going to continue learning about Jesus' message. So that's all we have time for today. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity that we can come and we can worship you. I thank you, Lord, so much that your word is true. I thank you so much that we are the salt. And Lord, we don't want to lose our Savior. We want to lose our flavor. We want to make sure that we taste right. We want to make sure we don't add in any of these other things that can hinder us. We want to be able to preach the gospel, teach the gospel, share the gospel, let our light so shine before men that they see the mighty power of Jesus Christ and want to know him. For it's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I thank you again for your time and for your attention today. Uh, next week we will continue on our study. And until then, God bless you. And get into church and be the light.